Todd, Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of the Sheep Things Podcast. Today we have uh, Mr. David Copeland out of Fulton, Missouri with Birch Cove Katahdins. Uh, David is a longtime 20, 25 year breeder of Katahdins, former uh, president of KHSI and a board member, and uh, 20 years, 25 years in SIP, I believe you said. We will learn about David's operation. Um, he, he does a lot of experimenting with Texels and his crossbreeding program. So I know you'll enjoy this as it's a topic that gets brought up a lot. So uh, sit back and enjoy. This will be a part one of our conversation and uh, look forward to part two uh, later on end of the week or first of next week. Well, Dave, thanks for okay. coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you coming on. Sounded like a bark tennis going to be hard act to follow. I thought, I, you know, at least I could do a try. So, <laughs> oh, well, we appreciate your happy. time. So, yeah, so yeah, happy to do it. Yeah, if so why don't you start knew, off? A, oh, sorry. If he knew, if he knew that, he would have lasted two or three more hours. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, he would have. And uh, Mark's always been able to out talk me. <laughs> Uh, well funny funny story on that uh me and caleb and mark said bye like three times and we talked for another (laughs) hour and a half after we said bye you know Uh that that sounds about right that sounds about right yep so So why don't you start off by you want to know well why don't you start by telling our our listeners a little bit about kind of yourself as a person a little bit about your background and then how you got into sheep um, I am a, have a master's in library science from the uh, University of Denver and uh, served as a public librarian in West Plains and university librarian at Lincoln University in Jeff City, an 1890s land-grant school, traditionally black college, um, and went to law school for a week and then decided that I'd uh, just go to work for the state. And I spent, I don't know, the rest of my career as as a bureaucrat, basically, um, and got into sheep because uh, summer of, of 1995, my lawnmower was in the shop three times. We were living out on four and a half acres out in the subdivision in rural Callaway County outside of Fulton. And uh, my lawnmower keeps breaking. I was working at the time for uh, budget and planning, which is the state of Missouri's uh, 
Office of Management and Budget and said, geez, you're treating this grass like it was a liability. What if you treated it like it was an asset? Yeah. And about that time, there was an article in uh, Organic Gardening about how good sheep manure was for ground. Mm. And it was a big organic gardener at the time and went out to the, uh, did a little research and thought that Katahdin's not having to shear them would be awful nice. <laughs> went out to the uh, county fair and there's Art and Nancy Case from the next county over, longtime Katahdin breeders, um, with a big sign, of course, that says, you know, Case Katahdins and a pen full of sheep just on exhibit. And I walked up and said, now, are these those, those shedding sheep? And Nancy says, her sucker meter pegged. <laughs> it's kind of been a pyramid scheme ever since. You know? <laughs> I started off the next year buying two ewes with a ewe lamb on the side of each one and a, and a weather and mm -hmm. I, here it is 25 years later and I've got 100 ewes and went from 4 acres to about 90 and <laughs> wow. like, I don't know it, stuff just, just happens. kind of happens yeah. now did yeah. you grow up there uh, where you lived or was you raised there is that where you're always I, from I, I grew up I grew up in in Jeff City, which okay. is thirty miles south. Okay. And yeah. uh, I was I've been with, with my current wife for thirty and I guess it'll be thirty three years and we were living in Columbia and I was working in Jeff City and she was working in Fulton, about thirty miles apart on this triangle. And yeah. uh, we said that's kinda of stupid, you know. What if <laughs> what if we lived in Fulton only one of us would have to drive? Yeah, sounds like she won. <laughs> oh no, no, we just kind of lucked into this place, and we we couldn't be happier. We're about five minutes from Fulton, um, two miles off of uh, Highway 54, which is a four-lane highway, um, seven miles south of I-70, just about in the middle of the state of Missouri. I mean, we've got good access good markets taken me 20 years but we finally broke into the uh islamic cultural center in jeff city and the mosque in mm. columbia and mm -hmm. uh, sell a lot of sheep uh, to their congregations uh and i don't know we're just we're just lucky our plan was to have everything uh all the infrastructure paid for before i retired because when we moved out here there was nothing <laughs> And we succeeded in that. I've been retired for 15 years, but shortly after I retired, we had the opportunity to buy first one and then another farm. So <laughs> we basically See, doubled our land. And, yeah. Uh, sounds like you retired. Sounds more like you switched jobs. You went from, from working for oh, well, government to being a farmer. <laughs> well, yeah, except I was running, we were lambing a hundred ewes while I was still working. Oh, <laughs> the last five years were the last five years were kind of tough. <laughs> yeah, but, no doubt. But, yeah, I, yeah, I switched over and uh, went to work for the judiciary um, mm -hmm. for my last five years. I'd had their budget for eleven years in budget and planning, and their guy was retiring, and I went over to do their budget for him. And my, my boss was brand new at the time, and 
we go through new employee orientation and he said, well, what do you think about the organization? And I said, well, you know, there's some people that are a little, you know, a little bummed out that Ron and Bill are gone and that we're here and morale's a little bad, but all in all, I think the organization's pretty good. He said, no, I meant the way it's organized. I don't want all those direct reports. I want you to be a division director and <laughs> oh, okay, you know. <laughs> Tag, you're uh, I can I can do that, and it gave it gave my uh, pension an incredible boost, you know. So that was great. But it made for tough five years. Um, but I'm still married. That's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So and how long have you? An excellent thing. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been doing Katahdin's Then what what was that year you first bought your? Twenty five years. This is this is 25 years this year. Awesome. Good deal. And uh, I don't know. I think I've got data back to 99 or 2000 in NSIP. So I've always mm-hmm. been interested in the, in the science side of it, you know. Yeah. In fact, I wished I had paid more attention to those science classes in high school because I dodged all the ones I could in college kind of skipping uh, a point I've been kind of studying up on my Birch Cove history here and I think I read somewhere that you guys had a uh, um, a reclaimed uh, coal mine is that what the farm uh, the underlaying part of the farm was or this this home place that that we started with four and a half acres was part of a uh, 40 that had been strip mined for coal by Peabody back in the 40s and uh, when when we first started keeping sheep, I had a uh, soil test done, and it was 4.2 pH and wow. 0.00 something organic matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that um, was that was part of that was part yeah. of my uh, college stuff was soil science, and we there's a lot of coal mines in my area. And and I never I, it was kind of shocking because I didn't picture Missouri being a coal bed, so to speak, you know. And uh, we did a lot of uh, strip mine reclamation tours in college, and I just remember seeing these barren grounds, you know, that that they're just going out and scattering whatever they can get to grow, and you know, pine trees if they can get them start anything, you know. And the whole well, idea of doing out. Go ahead. Yeah, this place had had about forty years of being abandoned from from Peabody, and wow. it had a dandy crop of spiny locusts and <laughs> a good admixture of uh, multiflora rose, and uh, that was about it. Yeah, and uh, we uh, did a couple of of of. Uh, Share grants and some experiment money, and mm-hmm. we took one field that's about an acre and a half, and uh, dozed it, averaged it out, and planted on it, and took a similar sized piece across the road, and uh, ran a mixed flock of goats and sheep on it, and cleared out the browse, and we've cut out wood on it every year. And uh, just that, that strip mine soil is pretty easy to move around, you know, because it's not consolidated at all. So mm-hmm. after you get 
the trees out of it, you can use your your loader or your uh, tractor bucket, you know, and, and average it up so you can plant grass on it and mow it. Um, the kind of conclusion of that grant was if you got 20 years, it's a lot more cost effective to let the sheep and the goats do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saved all the all the firewood off of that. We heat with with wood year-round, our domestic hot water and, and our heat. So, oh. I mean, it was just... Now I'm looking out the window at it right now across this strip pit, and it's all growing grass, and there's sheep eating it. So I, huh. I yeah. think that uh, the sheep have really... Rest- I, I, I had the whole place gridded last year by the uh, the DMFA, uh, the Missouri Farmers Association, kind of a bulk retail outlet, and they sampled every acre and a half. And my lowest organic matter was four something. Oh wow! wow. And my lowest uh, pH was uh, five eight, up from four two. Wow! And I, I don't great. lime or fertilize; it's all uh, all organic. So yeah, that's that's the sheep, not me. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got some friends down in southeast Tennessee, and they uh, they bought a farm to retire on, you know, and and it was all pine, and uh, the pH was just horrible, and they've probably spent the last four or five years trying to get grass to grow, basically, and and now they've done really good and uh, looks really great. I mean, they've actually you know worked their tail off to get <laughs> to get to that point, you know. So yeah, well, it could be because, done. Be, be, because this is all reclaimed strip mine spoil and doesn't have good soil structure or enough organic matter in it, it's pretty droughty. Right. You know, mm-hmm. if it turns off dry um, for a long time, six weeks, something like that, it looks pretty desolate out there. Yeah. But it, it bounces back. Um, yeah. So to to build your your soil up in the organic matter. I mean, that's a pretty big jump from, from less than zero to 4%. Um, and then, you know, to add, to increase the pH, you said, you know, you're not, you're not liming, you're doing everything organic. Um, did you just use like what, whatever would grow and then graze the sheep out there on the, on the rose bushes um, and, and all that stuff? Or would you, because I've, I've heard two different strategies. Exactly. I, I, goaded or sheeped it off as much as I could. Mm-hmm. I uh, fed the sheep uh, some hard seeds with their mineral so that they planted with oh. a little pellet of manure yeah. uh-huh. all over the place. Um, I uh, broadcast annual ryegrass and red clover about five pounds to the acre every year. Mm-hmm. And I feed big bales out on it all winter and just don't worry about the waste. Yeah. Um, and then I, my, my barn, my, it, it, I'd call it a lambing barn, but it's not. I mean, I've got about a two acre drop lot across the circle drive from the house. And during lambing, I'll bring the sheep up into that drop lot every mm-hmm. night. And uh, if they want to go in the barn, they can, but I've got a lot of cedars out there, and they prefer to be out under the cedars unless it's a freezing rain. And uh, I bed that barn in quarter-inch clean gravel Hmm. every year, 
uh, about a semi-load in the barn. And then three, four times during the lambing season, drag it down to fresh gravel. And uh, I have tremendous piles of uh, manure that I can, and, you know, waste hay, waste straw, manure, this is a quarter inch clean. And you spread that out on the field, and in two or three years, you know, the rate of absorption is slowing down now because the pH is going up. But boy, when you put that stuff out on that 4-2 pH to begin <laughs> with, in a couple of years, it had just eaten that gravel. <laughs> so, Wow. That's, that's incredible. So you said you're at about 100 years well, now. Um, what was your, is that your peak? Is that how high you've hit? Have you hit that, higher yeah, than that? Yeah, that, 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 that's my peak. Yeah. I, uh, I've got more grass than a hundred ewes can eat mm -hmm. most years, but a hundred is about my personal carrying capacity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find somebody that wants, we've built the farm manager's office house out here and I'm trying to find somebody that wants to live in that and raise sheep. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you, you know, do say, you do sound like Mark Dennis. Some type of, you do sound like Mark hey, Dennis. I said you do sound like Mark Dennis. He tried to get Caleb to come to buy his place in Louisiana too. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I'm not trying to get either of you guys to move here. I've just got somebody in there that uh, I think is going to work out pretty well. I don't think she wants to raise sheep, but you know that would be the deal I'd like. Is right for somebody to exchange grazing rights for some work. And yeah, uh, if they wanted, they would have, if they'd have made the deal that Jacob made this year, that would be real good. Cause I had an awful lot of spotted sheep. I'd have lost money. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I still get as big a kick out of it today as I did 25 years ago. And well, I think for me, a large part of the enjoyment is healing the land mm -hmm. and getting able to do hands-on science stuff, you know? Yeah. Because uh, NSIP has really, has, you know, has, we've made some good, some good strides using, using that. So. Yeah, I think it's kind of uh, interesting when, when I talk to people that are, Let's, we'll just say they're NSIP haters for, for instance. And, you know, I don't think they realize how many lambs, uh, how many sheep have data on them over the history. Uh, I think Lynn told me yesterday, we were talking about it, maybe 85,000 lambs so far. Uh, I mean, uh -huh. that's, that's pretty significant, you know, uh, for a breed as young as, as the Katahdins are for, you know, no more people than are doing it. Um, you know, the, from where we, we had for, we had for a, a while, the most breeds in the program. And then we got to where we had the most, the most flocks and the most sheep. And hmm. I don't know if that's still the case currently, but, uh, that was the case four or five years ago. Yeah. I think it and still that's, is that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it wasn't too many years ago on, on the parasite deal where, you know, 
just a minus 10 or something was pretty dang good, you know. And now, man, if you're not a minus 90, <laughs> you're not in the top 1%. Right. You know, you're not in the top. That's right. Uh, it's pretty amazing the strides that have been made. And thank you, guy. You and the uh, guys have been doing it for 20 years for staying focused and, and uh, you know, putting the improvement of the breed as a priority because that's, that's what it takes. Yeah. Well, you know, Robert, I uh, did another grant one time, and the conclusion on that grant turned out to be you can't sell a dead sheep. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, they pay you, they pay you, know, you to figure I, that out? <laughs> well, I, I didn't try to figure it out, but that was what we did. I mean, we were, we were trying to do a, uh, a weight gain parasite resistance uh, study. There were, oh, and this has been 20 years ago, but uh, had four flocks here in Missouri, and we each took 10 pairs of ram lambs and weathered one of them and kept the other one intact. Mm -hmm. And then we got them all together on my place, 80 of them, um, and we're going to see if, you know, Nancy and I did saline floats and, uh, uh, worm counts and stuff every three weeks or so all summer and we're trying to see if the weathers were more you know parasite resistant if the males were more parasite resistant what the various mm -hmm. rate gains were if we could observe anything about the sheep and uh, neighbor's dogs got into the flock which led to our conclusion that you can't sell a dead sheep <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess I got paid to come to that conclusion, but it wasn't the conclusion I was trying to come to. Right. I was at uh, my first expo was in Missouri or in uh, at the Ohio Expo, and we did a tour of Kathy Belick's place, and and she was doing a uh -huh. a parasite uh, study at the time, and she was doing fecals every Friday, and uh, yeah, I'm sitting I there just, going, oh my god, that is labor intensive. I, she had her set up in her I garage. Love I've known her for cool. years. She's bought sheep from me. I've bought sheep from her, but I don't want to look through that McMaster's <laughs> through that. You know, uh, uh, I don't want to count that stuff every yeah. week. I was fascinated yeah. by the, the, the thoroughness of her project. And, and we chatted some and I'm like, man, she said she kept it all up in a spreadsheet and I'm kind of a data nerd too. And I'm like, boy, I'd like to see that sometime. And, and it wasn't too long after that, you know, we talked a few more different places and, and she sent it to me one time and I opened it up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> what were you yeah. thinking? Yeah, I... <laughs> It is huge. Well, I, uh, yeah. And that points out, Kathy was doing fecal egg counts, and that is what our FECEPD measures. It measures how many eggs to the gram. It doesn't measure if the sheep can tolerate eggs. Correct. Mm -hmm. Kathy yeah. found, you know, Kathy found that she's got some that they're dropping eggs like crazy out of the pasture, but it doesn't affect them. You know, they're always a, a one on the FAMACHA and they have these incredibly high fecal egg counts. Yeah. So I, I wish we had some way to measure 
I guess there's resistance and resilience, and I'd sure like to be measuring both of them and capturing them in an APD rather than just just one. Yeah, you know, uh, I get a lot of, uh, of course, you've been a board member too, and I I guess as a board member, people think we're sheep experts, and um, I get a lot of messages now. Of course, y'all didn't have Facebook, you know, years and years ago, but man, now it seems like Facebook is the uh, I got you, you know, and I, I always get these messages. Hey, I, you know, something's wrong with my sheep, you know, and they start down this path of I bought them from a parasite-resistant flock. Really? How do you know? Well, they say they ain't never wormed them. Well, that don't mean nothing. That don't mean they're resistant. No, uh-uh. It means they're tough. <laughs> and uh, I wish there was a way to, I mean, I mean, you can only educate so much if people are not taking it in, but there's got to be a, a a better way of, of getting some of that stuff across because that's, that's the thing I hear the most is, Oh, I bought parasite resistant sheep. Well, how do you know? Well, I don't know. They never been well, warned. They said, they said they were. They said they were. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll be happy to show you the numbers, you know? Yeah. And uh, I just don't, you just can't buy sheep on, I mean, how can you visually tell if somebody is parasite resistant or not? Yeah, you can't. You know, you, you you can't. You can tell what their coat looks like. You can tell if they've what their DAG score is. You know, you can tell mm-hmm. all this stuff, but you can't tell if they're parasite resistant unless you know their history and and some numbers behind them. So, mm-hmm. and I think. Parasite resistance is the most economically important trait we've got right now, because um, they're not they're not making any more wormers for sheep. Yeah. So, you know, you've you've selected on parasite resistance for for a long time. Um, what kind of improvements have you seen? I mean, have you seen your averages go down? Have you seen losses go down? Um, like something substantial or is it just been kind of labor have i seen my labor go down have i seen the cost of wormers that i'm using go down you know when when i started 25 years ago the accepted common knowledge was when you're ready to turn them out you wean everybody and then three weeks later you worm all the lambs again and then huh. three weeks later, you worm all the lambs again. Wow. And three weeks later, you worm all the lambs again. And from then on, you just worm them if it looks like they need it. <laughs> well, you know, that's liters of wormer. Yeah. If you've got 200 or 250 lambs. And now I have a problem when I buy a liter of wormer of using it all before the expiration day. Yeah. I only worm people that, and a Famacha 3 won't get you wormed here if you're in good flesh and you're active and, you know, you look good. Mm-hmm. If you got a Famacha 3 and you look, your coat looks bad and, you know, you've lost a little weight since the last time, I'll worm you in a heartbeat. But prophylactically, I don't do it. I, uh, I want to let them fight that infection off if they can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so. Yeah. There was somebody a couple of years ago posted, uh, on a Facebook group that said that, uh, 
somebody had contacted them. There was a farm. It was, I think it was in Northern Kentucky or Southern Indiana and said that uh, this guy had bought a group of sheep and he, and he was an older gentleman and, and he ended up passing away and the kids just kind of left the sheep out there like cattle, you know, and here we are mm-hmm. four or five years later and they're still there and nobody knows anything about them and they're wanting to get rid of them. And I'm like, uh, I wouldn't mind having a couple of those, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. So yeah. those are, those guys have eliminated their self, you know, they're, they're, they're hell for tough. Right. So a question you, you just said you, um, you, if, if, uh, you has lost some weight or not recovered, this is something we talk about in NSIP as far as adult size. Do you weigh your use every year at a certain time to see kind of where they are to know if they're normal or up or down or how do you track that on your mature use? I weigh every sheep on the place every three weeks. Okay. Wow. I've, I've got my barn set up so that they know that they're going to go out through the scale to get out of the barn. Yeah. <laughs> and they just, they just line up and, and go through. And, uh, if somebody's gained weight, I mean, I'll famacha the, the, the lambs just because I think uh-huh. you got to, but, uh, on the mature use, I'm, I'm just tracking their weight. And, uh, you know, if you, I, I want my ewes to look like Auschwitz survivors by the time that they kick those lambs off of them. Um, I've gone down that road of, oh, this is a real easy keeper, you know. She's always going to look great. Yeah, she does. And her lambs are always a lot lighter <laughs> than, you know, a ewe that, that, that has heavy milk production and keeps up with them. And, and you know, get, I, I want them to give it up for those lambs. Yeah. If you think about um, the Holstein yeah. cow, you know, she gives, a, she gives up a lot of condition to put out milk, you know, mm-hmm. and I have right. zero issues with that whatsoever. Uh, that's what I want mine to do. I yeah. want them to look, I want them to be skeletonized by about 60 days into the, and, but it's uh, I don't know. Everybody's got to have their own philosophy. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. if you always want them to look nice, you're going to put a lot more into them than if you let them go with the natural um, weight swings that you're going to get. But yes, yeah. Robert, to answer your question, I do weigh them at the same time every year so that I know how big my mature ones are. Right. What and What I is think, a? Oh, go ahead. I think. I think 130 to 140 pounds is about where I want to be. I've got some that are, are 180 when they're dry, and they're they're they don't need to be that large. But uh, I've been crossbreeding with uh with Texels since 1997, and wow. they have added some size to to the flock, but they've really added carcass quality and. But so they added mature size. Yes. Okay. So they've so also I, added longevity. I'm I'm just getting ready to grind a ewe that is ten years old, uh, mm-hmm. full blood Texel ewe, and gotcha. I have a couple of uh, full of half blood Texels who are who are nine and still twinning, you know, regularly. So, um, yeah. 
I think, I don't know, I hate to say it, but Katahdin's, you know, seven, eight, something like that. I think they're on the downhill, downhill so, slide. So a question that got brought up. More longevity in your. Right. A question that got brought up in a Facebook group this week about uh, carcass and crossbreeding. And of course, Texel got brought up and, um, you know, uh, of course, you you know Bob Adams, I imagine the Texel guy. Uh, mm-hmm. He'd be a great yep. podcast guy too, uh, Caleb. If yeah. uh, he likes to talk, so that's one of those all dayers too. Uh, so Bob, <laughs> when I first met Bob, we were having our expo in Indiana, and he was my point of contact if I needed any help, you know. And and his first comment was, "Man, you Katahdin guys don't know how easy you have it." You need to get you some Texel use that that way you know what it's like to be a shepherd, you know. <laughs> and uh, so so there's two different. If, help me here. Is there two different head styles on a Texel that that a person should look for? Because uh, they to most of us they look like they got these really big heads, and we all think, oh, we're gonna have lambing problems. And um, tell us a little I, I, bit I've about never that. Never had a lambing problem. Okay. But but what you've got and what Bob might have been referring to is there are uh, heavy birth weight texels and light birth weight texels. Okay. And you can, I think you could have a problem if you had, uh, I, I never used my texel rams on, on, on maiden ewes. First time, yeah. I, uh, oh, and I, I, I don't like to use them on, uh, on, on smaller ewes either, which may be why I haven't had any problems. Um, well, his biggest con- his biggest issue he said comparing the two was, you know, a Texel just have a baby and get up and walk off like ah whatever. <laughs> huh? I I that has not been my experience. Okay, well, good deal. Uh, yeah, I, well, that's yeah. I mean, maybe maybe I've just been real lucky with the with the Texels that that I've that I've had, but. Uh, do you keep two separate flocks? Do you, do you have a Texel flock that you kind of play with too and then cross them or are you just nope. buying Texel rams? I, or? I've done it both ways. Okay. I've uh, bought, I bought Texel rams and turned them on Katahdin ewes and I've bought a few purebred uh, Texel ewes over the years and, mm-hmm. and put Katahdin rams on them. And about the time that NSIP wanted to start charging that second flock fee, and the uh, and the state of Missouri said, "Eh, you know, we're not doing that voluntary scrapey program anymore unless you do the export thing." Up until that point, I'd been keeping two flocks, and after that, oh. they just all they're all together. Gotcha. Yeah. So, just out of curiosity. Um, get a little more into that, that Texel crossing thing. Cause that's kind of unique a little bit. Um, how have you seen impacts on like weight gain or carcass quality? Um, and how long do you see those impacts stay? Like, can you, you know, breed that in and then I can go out, Caleb, I can go out in the field and visually pick out sheep that are just an eighth Texel. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, so that's you know, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Pretty significant, um, yeah. But it's 
um, it's they've got short little legs, uh-huh. which I really like, uh-huh. and uh, they're very wide, uh, incredible capacity. Um, well, I, I I've been known to call them a uh, a pig in a sheep suit. <laughs> That's pretty much what they look like. But uh, um, were either of you guys at the second? Expo that we had at Lincoln. I've not been. Not. To, I've not been to Lincoln, no. All right. Well, yeah. Char- Charlie Parker was was there, and they asked me to uh, provide a an animal that they were going to butcher in place. Uh-huh. Uh, and Charlie was going to going to talk about the carcass, and then we were going <laughs> to go eat it. I gave him a uh, a half. Texel half Katahdin cross that was, I don't know, 90 or 100 pounds at four or five months. And uh, they slaughtered that. And Charlie looked at that thing and just <laughs> said, you know, come up here and look at the muscle on this. Look at the little amount of fat that it has in, in comparison to the size. Yeah. And, uh, Craig, Craig LeMaster out at uh, Clay Center, uh-huh. he and I have talked, talked for years, and we're out there one time, and he's showing me his data, and he said, yeah, out of all this, uh, there was one outlier on, on the rams that we used. Over here, high rate gain, low fat. And I said, that would have been your Texel, wouldn't it? He said, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just been a very successful cross for me. So yeah, so if a, if a producer were to, um, let's say, you know, put a Texel on their Katahdin ewes, um, as opposed to, you know, putting a Katahdin ram with their ewes, um, would you expect them to see like five pounds extra weight gain at, at like six months? Would you expect them to be about 10 pounds heavier? Um, is there like, is it pr- pretty big difference like I that or Texel, even bigger? I think, the Texel, I think the Texel ram that I'm using right now is a uh, 8.6 at 120 days mm, and that's okay. 8.6 kilos so you know mm-hmm. 16 yeah. 17 18 19 close to 20 pounds um i the, the other thing and i've had people texel breeders tell me that they've got a big parasite problem with texels well huh. when we've got the first run of EBVs back on fecal resistance. Twelve of my fifteen most resistant ewes were Texel upgrades. So I don't know if I got genetics from the right flock or or what. But <laughs> I've got the small birth rate, birth weight, so there's no lambing problems. Um, high uh, high rate of gain, high fecal resistance ones, and I'm I couldn't be happier. <laughs> So, so how many generations on your replacement use do you get to where you lose, uh, where you're shedding good? Um, at, at the F1s will have no wool on their legs or their bellies. Okay. The F2s, the quarters, and I've had the occasional F1 50% or shed slick, but that's not what I'd expect. Um, by by the F2, a quarter texel, um, they may have a roach 
down their back and maybe some pantaloons. By by the time that they're seven eighths, they're you can't tell any difference. Well, mm-hmm. I'm sure you can tell a difference. They're wider and shorter right. and heavier, <laughs> but uh, you can't tell a difference on the coat generally. Gotcha. Yeah. So when you see, um, you know, because you sell a lot of breeding stock and it'd be great to kind of get into your market a little bit more here in a minute. But, um, you know, when you're selling breeding stock, when you're selling meat, so those those F1s, are you typically selling those as as crosses for breeding stock? And is there a market for those? Or are you yep. typically selling those for there's, me? There, there, there's a big market because uh, uh, the F1s and the F2s, you know, most people don't want to have to shear at all. Mm-hmm. And I can't blame them. I, I've gotten myself up to a, a personal high of I can shear eight a day. <laughs> and my motto on shearing is no first cut. I've, I've got to take two, three passes on them to get them slick, but there's no market for the wool, so that's not a problem. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you, you sell somebody a 50-50 and tell him that um, most of those offsprings are just going to have a roach down their back. Uh-huh. You don't have to shear that. So I, I sell an awful lot of sheep to uh, – we've got a strong Amish and strong Mennonite community around here, and okay. they are uh, – they're good stock people, you know. Yeah. They 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 know how to raise sheep. Yeah. And with a lot of kids, they're not scared of a little wool. So uh, send those kids boys out to the barn to shear those. But yeah, I sell an awful lot of of percentage animals. Uh huh. And what? most. Uh, that's that's I know great. I'm the past president. I know I'm the past president of KHSI, and I should not say this, one of the past presidents, but <laughs> most people don't need registered sheep. You know, if you've yeah. only got a handful, you're not going to, I mean, I figure 10, 15% of my rams are breed quality max. And, mm-hmm. you know, 75, 80% of the, of the, of the girls. And mm-hmm. no, a registered seed stock producer you don't have to buy registered stock and keep all, I mean, whatever. Uh, that's one of my hobby horses, I guess. Yeah. But the, uh, David Redwine has a great presentation I've been to where he talks about, you know, he sells probably, you know, two to three times as many commercial sheep as he does registered sheep, but he can, he can't walk through the field and pick them out. You can't tell by looking, you know, and that's hard no, for people to no. understand. You know, you shouldn't be able to separate one from the other, you know. Well, I'd, I'd a lot rather put my time and effort into the data management into the paperwork mm-hmm. than I would into the, uh, you know, I mean, and I, my sheep aren't registered. I mean, all of my sheep are registered or registerable or recordable because I know who who's everybody's siren dam is but yeah. i don't register them until i'm ready to sell them you know i mean there's, mm-hmm. uh and if people don't care about that i mean i can print them out in nsip five generation pedigree and show them who the siren dams were uh but they're still commercial sheep if you don't register them 
I got a question about uh, the NSIP data. So there's not a a coefficient or a factor for crossbreeding. So when you put when you put those sheep in there, uh, you just use the data as they're all the same, right? Right. Okay. I I mean I mine. I marked mine as Texels, and I had, you know, here 15 years ago, the bright idea that I was going to get more milk into the breed, so I got a dozen Lacone East Frisian cross hues, and hmm. uh, uh, Nodder commented on that. He said, yeah, I saw somebody put some, you know, was that you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you just noted in the in the notes, but okay, no, there's not any correlation really between the Texel Ram that I'm using and the Texel Rams that are in the Texel side of NSIP. So yeah. they just kind of say, okay, if this guy was a Katahdin Ram, here's how much heavier his kids will be. So did that, that make sense. any sense? Did yeah, I, I, exp I experimented with that myself. I, I did a Dorset, a uh, couple of Dorset ewes that I played with. And, uh, and I thought, hmm, so since there's not a hybrid vigor coefficient or whatever, you know, we, we don't have a way of knowing what that attributes to it, then technically on paper, these sheep should stick out because they're getting that little extra 10 or 15%. You they're know. getting that, yep. Well, they didn't. They didn't stick out, you know. And, and that helped me put more faith in my breeding program that, Hey, I'm doing I'm doing something right. I'm I'm picking the right animals and breeding the right animals because my crossbred didn't outdo them. You know, so, yeah. so I, I felt good about that, even though uh, Rusty said, "Oh, you can't do that," because you know, I guess their thought was that this Dorset would throw the numbers out of whack, and you know, but it didn't. You know, uh, so I was kind of I was kind of curious, nervous, and 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 happy all at the same time. You know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it ought, we know, generally speaking, what heterosis does and can assign a value for that. I don't think NSIP does, but, you know, if you want, you wanted to say, yeah, crossbreeds are 10% higher rate gain than, than Katahdin you know, than, than, than a purebred. purebred and, yeah. and I've seen that number. I don't know what it is at this point, but, you know, so you could go back in and say, okay, if these animals are not doing 10% better than my straight Katahdins, they're actually yeah. doing worse. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, how, how can you tell you <laughs> unless can't. you try? Exactly. You know. Yeah. And my so, Texel crosses. Go on. Oh, so with with all those um, with all that information, uh, how do you what do you consider? What some of the traits do you have? Like a, a certain uh, birth weight or certain weaning weight or certain uh, you know trait score number of lambs born or weaned or you know, any of those that you have a minimum criteria for, a, for like a breeding ram or? Um... Uh, well, it, 
It depends on what the customer wants. Thank now, you. If I've Thank got you. somebody, Thank you. <laughs> if I've got somebody that's submarginal or average in all of those categories, that ram's going to hop into the freezer. <laughs> but if you if you have somebody that is pretty mediocre on a couple of them, but has say tremendous 1,620 day weights or fantastic parasite resistance, there may be somebody that's looking for an animal like that. Exactly. Yeah. And I would not, you know, I would not sell that breeding ram for as much as I would sell one that was strong across the board, mm-hmm. but I'd still sell him for more than, than me. Yeah, he still, <laughs> if, he still has, wants. yeah, he still has a place in somebody's flock that is weak on that trait. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I've been concentrating for the last oh fifteen years, I guess, on the growth and uh, parasite resistance. Mm-hmm. And I know I've given some something up on the on the proliferacy side, but I don't want triplets particularly. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of triplet that are in the flock but you know i just assume they just had twins yeah yeah i'm kind of the same boat so do you lamb in the pasture do you lamb in the barn i lamb in the pasture i was i was telling you about that drop lot and the lambing barn and i lamb in january and february generally and i'll bring them up to the lot at night and if they want to come in the barn they can but usually out under the cedar trees yeah, I'm the same way. Lambing triplets out in the field is no fun. And uh, and uh-uh. so I don't look at, you know, that, that's the thing I don't like about the index, you know, is it's it's kind of geared towards more lambs, you know, and man, that's tough, you know. Uh, well, I don't, I don't pay any attention. Well, the only attention that I pay to born and weaned is the ratio. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know. And I don't care if you don't have very many lambs. If you wean them all, you're okay in my book, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but these ones that that have a a 21 or a 24 on lambs born, and then an eight on lambs weaned. That's think, a problem. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're having triplets and you're losing one of them, and I'm not making any money, and neither are you. Yeah, and some so, of that that milk early on then gets put into that other triplet and so then your other two are going to grow slower and then you're actually not only are you losing a lamb but your twins are going to be smaller than than they would be if you had well your what is now essentially twins your two smaller triplets are smaller than what you would have if you had a nice set of twins i got a five or six year old you that i really like that uh tripleted for the first time this year Mm -hmm. and all three of them are alive and I just took 60-day weights and moved them to the other farm here this last weekend. And I had two 60-pounders and a 22-pounder. <laughs> so I kept the 22-pound one back, and I'm going to feed it a little bit. You know? yeah. but, I mean, I can't, I can't blame the mom because she's always done great with, with twins. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah. 
if I'd have been a little more observant, no, I wouldn't have cut it out and fed it separately until then. It was alive. You know, I'm not going to borrow more work for myself. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, you, you were overrun with multiples this year, weren't you, Caleb? Yep. Yeah, it was kind of a crazy year. So last year I had it's about a 250% lambing average. Um, and so for my system, I mean, I'm doing, you know, just grass and then I'll give them a little bit of alfalfa hay just to bring up that condition on their body condition before breeding, um, sometimes. And so last fall, I, or I guess it would be fall of, uh, 2018. I did that and I got this 250% lambing average and I'm like, man, this is, this is crazy. I don't need this many lambs. <laughs> and you know, you just, yeah. with those triplets, you end up with smaller ones. Um, quads, it's like, whew. I had one you actually that she raised, she raised the quads all, had a few years raised quads by themselves. And that one you, she actually, I don't know what happened to her, but one of my, old, one of my few cases of mastitis I've had, and she got mastitis partway through nursing those quads and she kept nursing them and raised all four of them and but anyways that's kind of abnormal for me um typically you know triplets they can mostly handle triplets but they're just going to grow slower and so i thought well i'm not going to feed them quite as much um right before i breed them just i'm not flushing them them yeah yeah and then i I ended up with like a 270 percent lambing average and i'm like well that was crazy so I decided, well, yeah, that um, was not what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And it was, it was funny too, because, you know, I, I hauled back these, these, you know, all these nice rams from, from back East and, um, you know, one of them being from you and, and, uh, anyways, I'm like, well, I want to get some, some ewe lambs. I have these ewes that, you know, they're heavy milkers. I had, you know, one had a, a single and, and he just didn't nurse on both sides. And so, um, and I wasn't watching and, uh, she, you know, got mastitis in half an utter, but I mean, she's great, great. You got some really nice maternal traits and always had great lambs. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll breed her one more time and, you know, see if I can get some, some lambs out of them. And, you know, she usually can raise twins on half an utter and, and she had quads and I had a couple that had quads and I'm like, yeah. You know, if it's a zero born, that that's still a two hundred percent lambing average, <laughs> and if you get exactly. it exactly exactly a, a ten or a fifteen on weaned, I mean, you're still looking at you're going to be weaning two hundred percent lamb crops, and and so, I mean, for me, when I look at that index, I I really like the index to be made up of really high, you know higher milk, um, and then that nice spread will increase your index a little bit. But the number of lambs weaned is high and, and your milk is high and, and weaning weights are decent, you can still have a decent index. But, I mean, if I just go and I sort by well, index. I, I, just, I just don't pay much attention yeah. to the index because mm-hmm. it, it, there, there's, no, there's no fecal resistance yeah. entered into it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I have noticed kind of a – direct antagonism between proliferacy and fecal resistance. Oh, okay. Ewes that have a lot of sheep tend to have more worms than, yeah. and maybe that's 
maybe that's genetic. If you're going to lose some, you'd better have a lot of them. I don't know. You know but <laughs> um, I'd, I'd a lot rather have a sheep that's got good milk, good growth, a good ratio on the born to weaned. Yeah. And uh, I don't care what the index is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Unless I have a really high index animal. And then, of course, that's what I'm selling you is the index. Yeah. So I, I've looked yeah. at um, <laughs> the, I've looked, you know, through the, through the database a little bit and, and I've, you know, looked at people's individual listings they've sent me and, and I've kind of gone through, you know, cause like you, I mean, I'm, I'm mainly selecting on, you know, the, the milk and the growth and the parasite resistance and that ratio. And so for me, I would kind of pick on that and then I just look at the index and be like, Oh, that's, you know, kind of interesting. And you know, that, that's a pretty nice index or, um, you know, it might be like, well, it's a little bit lower, but Hey, these other traits are great. So <laughs> why worry about it? Sure, um, sure. one of the There's interesting awful things, lot of sheep out there who are 104s, 105s, 106s, yeah. Rams, and that's fine. Yeah. You know, if they're strong where I want them to be strong. Mm-hmm. Yep. So one of the things that I saw was as I was looking through, I'm like, you know, this, the self-replacing carcass index seems to correlate a little bit better because it does have that, that small fecal egg count um, factor in it and it factors growth a little bit more heavy. Do you look at that index at all or do you primarily just look at individual traits? And if you look at individual traits, what are, what's kind of your order of selection? Oh, yeah. Still. Hmm. Oh yeah, he's gone. Hang on a minute. Let's try him again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm turning you off with my ear. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new it's a new phone system and that's all i can figure out is i'm (laughs) i'm holding it against my head funny and (laughs) oh well uh so yeah so i guess i was what i was asking um so as i've you know kind of looked at some different traits and stuff the ones that that i looked at kind of consistently you know you know that growth parasite resistance milk um ratio of born to weaned um you know i noticed the the self-replacing carcass index seemed to match up somewhat consistently with what I was selecting because of the, the growth and parasite resistance factors. Do you look at that much? And if you, if you don't. Sure. I, I, I've got some that are like 124s, 125s, you know, Yeah. and on, on the, on the carcass index. And yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, what are we in the business of selling? Yeah. Meat. Meat. <laughs> meat, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and how much meat can you produce how economically? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that there are some people who like great big sheep, but a lot of those great big sheep don't have as good an EBVs as, as the little ones. Mm-hmm. And which one would you rather feed? Yeah. I mean, I 
Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm always interested by people's philosophies. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd rather feed. Uh, my motto is I don't want anything on the place that weighs more than I do. Mm-hmm. Because cause they can hurt you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so I, I hope I hope you're not a fan of giantism, Robert. I, oh no, absolutely. My uh, I've had I've had <laughs> big and I've had little and and uh, you know uh, I had a conversation with a guy one time and and uh, we all we a couple of us bought some some rounds at the same time and I'll leave out the the names anyway. Uh, uh, you know, six or eight months goes by and he goes, man, uh, how much, how much, uh, weight is your Ram gain? I'm like, well, hopefully none, you know, he's three years old, Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh yeah, well, I just want to see how big you'll get. Well, why, you know, there's not a race to 400 and, and there's not a market for 200 pound lamb. So I don't get it, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely, I don't care if a Ram ever weighs 200 pounds, you know? Uh, if he can get to 120 one, quick, 175, 180 is just fine. Absolutely. You know? you know, once I don't care if they quit growing at 200 pounds, that's perfect. Yeah. You know, there ain't a market for 200 pound animals. So, uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, I've had some of them, I've had some of my Ram customers come up to me the next year and said, I had no idea that sheep would get so big. And I said, you fed it, didn't you? <laughs> Well, yeah. I said, why did you do that? You know, <laughs> his, his testicles didn't get any bigger because you fed him, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if they've got if they got the potential, you can make them express it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I guess it's better to have it and you, not express it. Than <laughs> I mean, I can tell you what I a milk, um, I can tell you what a milkshake a day does to a person because I did that for a while. And, uh, you know, it's the same, uh, same concept. You know, my kids ain't going to get any bigger cause I ate a milkshake every day. Well, it was all hard muscle though, wasn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I figured. <laughs> Great place to stop right there. And, uh, that will end part one of our conversation with Dave Copeland, uh, Fulton, Missouri. Uh, great conversation so far. Been a lot of fun and uh, interesting. So look forward to part two. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback. So you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later. <laughs>